what is it that you want to do? What is it that you have done well up to this point that has some application going forward? What do you think people need? If it's a service or a product you're talking about, how can you best provide that? Welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals and we invite friends on to help us. And you know, this is the two year, our two year anniversary. And I'm so excited that Kirk McCarley is going to be here to celebrate that with us. Kirk, welcome to the show. And you're, you're actually the perfect guest to help us celebrate the two year anniversary. Hey, thank you to, for inviting me to the party, Chris. <laughs> That's right. I should. I actually have balloons here because I had them left over from an open house. I should bring them down and put them into the picture. Um, I'll do that before we end. Um, but yeah, so the reason that Kirk is, one of the reasons that Kirk is the perfect guest is because when I originally started this podcast, it was because I was 55 years old. So what, how can it be the two-year anniversary? Hmm. So I must've been 56 then. And I just didn't feel that I had the resources that I needed in order to retire, um, which I wanted to do very quickly. <laughs> and, and I didn't, I really didn't have anything. I had, you know, a, you know, a couple, maybe, maybe if I stretched it like $50,000 in the bank, I didn't, um, I did own some real estate and stuff, but when I was 50, that wasn't even true. So I guess, you know, they say you're teaching to yourself a few years ago. And when I was 50, I was renting a bedroom from, you know, a, an entrepreneurial person who was renting his bedrooms to make some extra money. I didn't own anything. I had lots of debt and I had, you know, I just really wasn't exactly rocking it in my career. And so, and I thought, oh my God, you know, I had my 50th birthday. I said, oh my God, you're 50. You have got to get your a grip, you know? And I think this is a baby boomer thing that we just forget. We just don't think we're ever going to get old. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened to me. But so, so anyway, the reason that Kirk is so perfect is because this is what he does. He is a career executive life coach. He's a production assistant with ESPN for more than 25 years. And he's a spinning instructor. He's a columnist. And then of course, husband, father, and grandfather. So he's, he's a Renaissance man. And he's, he shows people and helps people to like design their retirement and figure out like, what does life look like? Now that you're getting a little older and maybe you don't want to just like be hitting the whatever all the time, hitting the pavement or hitting the airwaves or whatever it is that you normally do. And you want to just design a life for yourself. So Kirk, welcome. Sorry, I took up so much of the intro. <laughs> Not at all, Chris. And you mentioned the Renaissance and I'm 64 years old. So I was born right after the Renaissance came to an end. <laughs> but uh, to, to kind of assuage the concern of our listeners, I may be old, but I'm immature. How about that? <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. This is something that I think a lot of people struggle with, especially entrepreneurs, because we are so busy, right? We're so busy. We are so important. We're, you know, our job and, you know, we are our company and all this stuff. And then, you know, the idea of retirement for people can be kind of like scary. I know people who say, I'm never going to retire. I'm going to work till I drop. But there's a, there's a, there's a, like a happy medium, right? Where you can not work till you drop, but. I like to call it a transitioning, which is what I did 
And my parents were a great example of that for me. Uh, they're both deceased now. My dad went to college at the age of 69. He had never had an opportunity to attend. And it so happened, I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, which is where TCU is, to give a plug for the Horn Frogs. <laughs> uh, my mom worked there. And she went back to work at the age of 55 and worked there until she was 82, uh, which enabled my dad to go for either a free or reduced uh, tuition. So he was a manufacturer's representative. He transitioned to going back to school and becoming, since he loved school so much, a school crossing guard. So I took some lessons from them that were kind of ingrained and uh, thank you for passing that on to me, mom and dad, that rather than retire, we transition to what it is we've maybe wanted to do for a long, long time, things we've dreamt of doing as a kid. Uh, and in my case, it was kind of a natural transition from what I'd done professionally and at executive levels for a long, long time. Although I need to go back to school, I need to get certified to become a coach and I'm a work in progress on that, continuing to learn. Uh, and I'm so fortunate to have uh, some excellent clients that I learn from them and I hope they pick up a few things from me. <laughs> so how do you help people to envision themselves as something other than what they're doing right now, day to day, like how they're paying the bills? How do you get them to sort of like tap back into those dreams that they may have had at quite a young age? When I was in my late 50s, I was at that point, I was in HR for the better part of my career, human resources, and knew I wanted to do something else and was contemplating several different avenues I could follow, but I hired a coach myself. He didn't direct me. He didn't lead me. He asked me a lot of probing questions. He caused me to go sort of deep into the recesses of my own mind and who am I? What do I want to do? And about the third meeting I had with him, I looked him in the eye, pointed my finger at him and said, I want to do what you're doing. <laughs> How do I go about doing that? And so that was the impetus that spurred me on to uh, go back to school, get educated, to get certified. But along the way of doing that, Mitch, I'm a spinning instructor. I had an episode uh, with my health, and this was in 2014, I was in a great place. I was at the gym. I was working out and all of a sudden the world went black. And the next thing I knew, I was, uh, I, I was in a reclined position. Uh, there were some uniformed people standing above me. I had a face mask on. I was breathing oxygen. Uh, it was not a pretty scene. Fortunately, I knew my name. I uh, knew my date of birth and I was wheeled into uh, St. Mary's Hospital in St. Louis. Uh, I had to stay the weekend, which uh, quite frankly kind of irritated me because I had a game to go do that weekend. So I missed <laughs> out on that. But uh, ran some tests come Monday morning. They pronounced to me, uh, how would you like to be filleted tomorrow in terms of a triple bypass? <gasps> and so that is exactly what happened. And my attitude at the time was not fear. It was almost immediately, let's get this over and done with and move forward. 
So about 10 days post-op, you start getting the post-op blues, a little depressed, and woe is me, am I getting old? And I kind of looked myself in the mirror, slapped my face and said, snap out of it, get better than you were before. And what does that look like? So the first instance is self-coaching. I was back working out five weeks post-op. I was teaching spinning classes again, seven weeks and got to the point of uh, exactly that getting better, which was not just physically, but mentally as well. I'm really going to start focusing now on my plan, how I'm going to get into coaching, how I'm going to transition of what I'm doing now, the financial implications of that. Uh, been married to my wife for 41 years. Uh, how uh, is that going to work in our relationship and start uh, taking paths towards all of those different, would have been a very negative episode actually turned into something that was, in my case, very positive for me. Mm-hmm. And how has that, how do you use that same, your experiences and your wisdom that you've accumulated to help other people to make those same sort of decisions and transitions? Chris, I hear so many people that are my age and even a little bit younger viewing themselves in the work world as old, it's all 20, 30 something. And you almost see that defeatist attitude, the slump in the shoulders, and I can't compete in this kind of environment. Let's step back a minute, I'll say to the client and ask the question, what is it that you do offer? What are your best assets uh, to self-actualize on the hierarchy of needs? What would that look like for you? What would really be a capstone opportunity where you can cobble this all together and get to the very best place you want to be using your talents, your abilities, your skills that are are developed and and God-given. And so we start at that place. And it's kind of a challenge. And oftentimes a client will say, well, I don't know. And my response back may be rhetorically, if you did know, what would you say to that? (laughs) So we challenge them to go a little bit deeper and beyond. And we may hear something like, well, when I was a seven-year-old girl, I liked doing this and I was very good at it. All right, let's take a look at that a little bit and unpack it. What does that look like? So that's a little bit of a snippet or example of how things may lead off uh, in accordance with the question you just asked. And in, in addition to the work life, you know, there's also, I hope that people are also thinking about things that they've always wanted to do and how maybe the two could interact, you know, like, for example, me having a speaking career and traveling like that sort of is something that I, I love to travel. I've always enjoyed traveling and I want that to be part of my future. So part of the reason that I'm creating for myself a speaking business is because I want to be invited to all kinds of exotic places all around the world. I'll probably have my first job in, you know, Omaha. Not that I don't love Omaha, you know, but. <laughs> um, but yeah. To, um, ben Coliseum and uh, yeah. uh, Berkshire Hathaway. So there exactly. you go. Warren, Warren Buffett, he'd love to see you. He would, he would, absolutely would. <laughs> Well, I'd be honored to do that, believe me. 
But is there a way for that people can sort of merge those two to sort of like see if their future career their or their sort of later year career could also help them to tick some of the items off their bucket list? Talk about my dad for just a moment and then I'll answer that question. He was a manufacturer's representative. I mentioned that earlier. He traveled a lot. And I asked him this question once. I said, did you like what you did for a living? He said it was okay, but what he liked about it, he got to travel and he got to see things and he loved to take pictures and, and visit historical sites. So he would always blend that in to what he was working, what he was doing in his work. He probably could have worked harder and I think he would readily admit that, but he had a responsibility for family and for, for feeding us and taking care of us. And, and he did that. We were never in want or hurting or anything like that. But he, he satisfied what he wanted to do along with that. The other things that I do along with coaching, uh, working with ESPN, and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit later on, in spinning in an odd sort of way, they all seem to blend together. Spinning is a good example. Uh, had a uh, group at 6 a.m. this morning, and uh, we have a lot of fun. We get a good workout. We burn a lot of calories. But there are so many elements of coaching that are blend, blended into that. Mm -hmm. There's the visual aspect of it. You're riding the stationary bike. But let's envision ourselves in the hills of Appalachia, and we've got a 10% grade to build on right now. What does that look like? How are you focused? How are you not letting this hill get the better of you? And what are the sounds that you're hearing? We'll talk about the audio part of things as well. And there's music playing in the background. And a, a lot of my stuff is 60s and 70s, Chris. <laughs> so let's visualize that John Fogarty is riding alongside of us and he's singing uh, Proud Mary as we're going up. Well, first of all, be proud of yourself because John Fogarty may not be able to spin with us right now. You're <laughs> that good. Build on that. And so they reach back, they do a little bit more, get a little bit of extra. And how does this feel? Is the air fresh and cool, even though it's sweaty and smelly <laughs> where we are right now? So we take ourselves to a little different place. Coaching does much the same thing. So that's how there can be a blend and an overlap with multiple roles and responsibilities and things that we do. So you're, in a way, you're honing your coaching skills with your spinning uh, participants. <laughs> I was a spin instructor before I was a coach. So borrow right. a little bit from, from spinning to go into coaching. So a lot of it made sense. Yeah. How does ESPN factor into that? <laughs> right. There is competition at doing games. And I'll throw some of that in there. Visualize while you're on this bike that there are going to be 90,000 people at Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge who are cheering you on at this moment. How does that feel for you to have that encouragement? And Consequently, the same kind of parallels that can go into uh, in, into coaching. So it sounds like you've, during your process, that you found some of your talents 
and you found ways to to use those talents to create a life for yourself that's interesting, that's got a lot of diversity, and that allows you to just enjoy your life. Does that sound accurate? That's accurate. And my gift, I, I guess I'm pretty good at coaching. I know I am. I'm good at leading spinning. But my true gift is the statistical analysis that I do for ESPN. And I know that by virtue of the fact how I got into it. Talk about things that we dreamt of doing when we were young. Uh, I wasn't very athletic. In fact, I was so bad at catching a ball that my teacher talked to my parents and said, you need to toss the ball with this kid a little bit. He's really <laughs> not very good. So they did. I got on a, uh, a peewee basketball team and, and that just really clicked for me. And I really grew to love that sport and through a lot of work became more athletic. But along the way, I discovered about sports that there was a statistical element that went with it. And I was always very good at math. Back in the late 60s, we didn't have uh, these things, calculators. Uh, you maybe had the long ticker tape that you would add stuff into. But as we learned longhand division, that's how I started calculating things. And I would see a box score in the paper and uh, a certain ball player, baseball player, was six for 20 coming into a game. He went one for four. I knew he was now seven for 24. Uh, his batting average was now 292. I figured that out longhand, but pretty soon started to memorize those. Wow. And got better and better at that and figuring out these differential equations. That took me right into what I was doing with ESPN and how I got into that. In college, I had a roommate who was a broadcast communications major, and we were the guys that would sit around before a table, watch games on TV. He would do commentary, and I would supply statistical analysis. I would see a guy, if he got a hit, he's going to go up to 335. If he doesn't, he's going to be down to 332. So I could... I could toss that out to him as well. I met my wife at college. She would ask, she, she would be around and she'd come into the room. What are you guys doing again? And several times she would comment, it'd be nice if you could do something with this. Finally, the opportunity presented itself as my broadcast friend got into professional jobs and I became a statistician. He's since moved on. I've stayed with ESPN and kind of the rest is history on that. Great. That's good fun. <laughs> it's too much fun and the uh, access that I've had to meeting people and the, knowing who the heroes and the villains are uh, behind the scenes in sports has just been so much fun. <laughs> I bet. That seems like a dream job. <laughs> it is. So I, I'm sure when people are thinking about doing what you're doing, like, I mean, th this to me is like, seems like the ideal way to sort of enjoy your retirement where you're doing a little of this and a little of that. And they're all things that you really love. And just, you know, each one gives you some, some money, you know, you maybe not a gazillionaire, but you don't have to take all your money out of your savings to live, you know, and 
how, but, but there's a lot of fear associated with that. Right. I mean, I know my friend, my friend, Carl, who actually does the, the intro and outro music for this, for this podcast, he was looking at being potentially laid off in his later years. And he was really nervous about that. And I said to him, what's the worst that could happen? And he said, well, you know, I'd, I'd do play piano more and, you know, do, do, you know, full-time with the band. And I said, okay, so that's, that's so terrible, but it's just this idea that, you know, you have to have this particular type of structure. And I think you're letting go of a lot of that structure. How, how do, can people kind of get beyond that, that fear of, of letting go of their nine to five, what they feel like is a guaranteed type of job. The correlation of fear and anger is fascinating. There is such a connection between the two and fear will manifest itself in anger. And you'll hear it with a uh, guy I have no retirement plan from this organization that I've been working with, I feel shafted. And what that really is, is fear of how I'm gonna make ends meet going into the future, but also the fear of I'm really not doing something that I love. Is this what my life is gonna end up being? Am I gonna retire? And I just kind of shrivel up and fade away. There's a sweet spot, I think, somewhere in there. Of course, we wanna plan for our retirement and make wise investments and, and save adequately in order to have a foundation. But I've also seen people that have gone the other way with that. I am so well taken care of that I don't really have to do anything. I can play golf. I can uh, do the honeydews. I can watch TV. I can watch sports. And there's anger that comes with that because six months into it, six years into it, I'm bored. What impact am I making on the lives of others? Right. The sweet spot is somewhere in between. And I was fortunate to have a defined benefit plan, but it didn't supply total needs we were going to have to have to live on. So I needed to that gap somehow. ESPN provides a little bit of that. Uh, teaching spinning does, but the coaching business was the fulfillment. So there's a little bit of hunger that's still there, but also some challenge that goes with that of starting your own business, asking yourself, can I really do this? And what have I learned throughout my history that I can apply and really make this happen. And it's exciting when you start to see that coalesce and come together. And what really gets exciting about it, I love making the money, but what is even more rewarding is working with a client and watching them and hearing them have a breakthrough, an aha moment. And for me, I join that celebration, such as the two years that you're celebrating, but it's um, they're letting me be a part of it. They're allowing me to be an audience, to listen, to ask provocative questions of them, to get them to a better place. And at my age, I'm having more fun with all these things combined together than I ever have. So 
Kirk, when you first start, when you first sit down with somebody, you know, when you're meeting them for the first time and what do they, why do they typically come to you? Like, what's the common thing where they say, I need you because. The pain point uh, initially is very broadly. I want to be in a better spot than where I find myself right now. Some may be some fine tuning. I want to enhance my leadership skills, my executive presence, how I communicate with people. And others are a little bit more radical along the lines of, I need a new job, or I need a new career, or the obstacles at work have become so great for me that I just don't know if I can deal with that. Now, when you get to those, the fine line starts to set in in terms of determining is coaching going to be most beneficial or would therapy, clinical counseling serve this client better? Coaching assumes a whole client. That is, we don't have other issues that are at least being presented to the coach, such as substance abuse, uh, relationship problems, problems with kids. Those would require different type of profession to assist with those but we're dealing with the whole individual so we start at levels such as that and the client very much sets the agenda for where we go in coaching it's not uh, it's not out of the realm or out of uh, reality that a meeting will begin uh, with a question of client what is it that would be most valuable for us to focus on today? And by the time that we get done with our meeting, what are two things, let's say, that you want to have achieved? That starts us off and the questions can be framed around that. Homework assignments go with that as well. We can pick up on those. How are you progressing in your networking and making the contacts you said you would or developing your vision and your mission statement for where you want to go. And you brought up that point of like a mission statement and how many, just, just for fun, how many of your clients come to you and already have a mission statement for their life? <laughs> oh, uh, how about one out of 20? <laughs> Which means 95% don't. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's pretty much common across the board. So how do you, is, is that part of your process that you help people? Like how could somebody kind of create their own life mission statement? What kind of questions would they have to ask themselves to put that together properly? Well, the first thing I would ask them is what do you want? And that sounds kind of harsh to say it that way, but seriously, that's where the rubber meets the road. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to drive yourself? Well, I don't know. Hesitation and silence are good things because that's allowing the brain room to process and to think through. And so a person will say, I want to be uh, in the position that my boss now holds, all right? So part of your vision is I'm going to be in this particular position and when are you gonna be in that position by? Well, I'd like to be in by 2026. So five years from now, I visualize myself performing this type of job. What does that look like? How will that be different for you? 
And so by asking these questions, the client starts to formulate what it is that job is going to look like, which is vision. The mission comes after that. What's your mission? My mission is to get myself in a position such that I can attain this job. We're into strategic planning by that point in time. Mission is that. What needs to happen in order to enable the mission? Well, I get some specialized training. need to go back to school in order to do that. I need to take a Del Carnegie course to help me with some of my fine skills that go with that. To the end is, we need to have this done. What is your goal for that? What needs to happen? How do you need to save for that? How do you need to coordinate your time? So we're really talking about a strategic plan that comes out of that visioning. Yeah, and you help people to sort of cobble that together. And, and do, you, do you sometimes find that once you get that together that people say, wow, this is too big, I can't do this? I mean, do, do you have people who have sort of an issue of, of actually believing that it could be a reality? I have an interesting story that's about these elephants that we face, Chris. COVID really put my broadcasting and my productions into a category. And as we emerge out of it, more of it is being done remotely. So I will work a game in Columbus, Ohio, from here in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, with a broadcaster who's in Cleveland and a color analyst who's in San Diego and the cameraman are in Columbus. But how does that work? When that notion was first presented to me, there was all this tech stuff that went with it. I am not technical. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Take a breath, step back, ask myself the question, what can you do? All right, I can do the same thing that I have been doing. Okay, do that. I felt better about myself, but there were still hurdles. What can I maybe do technically? Well, I knew how to do Zoom right now. I knew how to connect my monitor to another one to actually watch the game action. So I did that. I'm feeling even better about myself. All right, what else needs to happen? The big obstacle for me was the audio component of it. It's a specialized app called the Unity app. And it enables us to check, to, to speak to the truck that's broadcasting a game, to our talent announcers, to any of the other people that I'm working outside of. That's for me to get down, but get down, I finally did by taking it one increment at a time. So the lesson I learned and that I pass on to people I'm working with, when it seems so big, break it down into bite-sized pieces and celebrate each step of the way that takes you there and gets you there. I'm real proud of the fact that I'm not the 20 or 30 something that's working with this but I'm getting called in for remote games, which is not too bad. Somebody who's not too tech savvy. So that was a real victory for me this past year, something I feel good about. And uh, we'll carry on into this 
this next season ahead. Excellent. Yeah, that, I can see how that would be really daunting at first, thinking, well, what we're going to do what? Huh? How's that going to happen? How's this going to work? <laughs> right. And if, I, uh, if my fragile internet goes down in the midst of this, what's going to happen if my dog who's at my feet needs to go outside during the course of the game? I, I can't do that. I have contingencies for it, but uh, have faith. And that's all you can do, right? <laughs> so for right. folks out there who are, you know, coming to their later years and, and thinking that they might like to have a job that's more fulfilling for them, how can, how can we help them to ask themselves some questions that will kind of spark some, some thoughts and even questions that they might, that might help them to, to decide if they're going to need to have a coach to help them through that path. Yeah, step number one. Uh, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you have done well up to this point that has some application going forward? What do you think people need? If it's a service or a product you're talking about, how can you best provide that? I think a third question, what gives you fulfillment and enjoyment? Uh, voted yourself to an occupation or maybe not. Maybe you're a, a stay-at-home parent who now is ready to emerge uh, onto the work scene as, as my mom was in her mid-50s. Uh, what skill have you picked up uh, as, a, as a domestic uh, stay-at-home worker or had before that? would be applicable. What is unique about you? What differentiates you from other people that are out there? Is it a special knowledge, is it a special skill, a special talent that uh, would intrigue others and draw them to you? And I would answer those four or five questions to start with. Write them down. Let them percolate just a little bit. Marinate on it see what that comes up with, and then further ask questions such as timelines, quantitative. When would I want to start doing this by? Uh, am I going to physically and mentally uh, be at the capacity for a long-term duration to handle this? And what kind of accommodation might I make as I'm going uh, through this process to, to think that uh, at the end of that time, when you have a few answers, coaching can be of real benefit, such as, Kirk, hey, I've got this idea that's brewing around in my mind, but I want to refine that a little bit more. I want to get it to the point where it's not foolproof, but it's more form formulated than maybe it appears to be right now. One problem that I've noticed is that sometimes the things that we're the best at, we just assume everyone else is also really good at them. And we don't realize what a talent it is of ours. You know, sometimes I, I meet people who don't, they don't realize how good they are at something because it comes so easily to them. And that I think can be, you know, when you say like, what makes you unique, some people might not realize that that 
is something unique about them. You know, like even you with your statistics, maybe you thought, oh, you know, everybody can do math this easily, right? And then you got, found out later, oh, are people struggle with math? Really? Oh, it's so easy. <laughs> and Chris, sometimes the uniqueness is the humility that goes with that. I was doing a blog a couple of weeks ago about lemons to lemonade. And I thought back of one of the greatest plays in NL history is the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Oakland Raiders in 1972. And you've got Terry Bradshaw for the Steelers that fires a pass right off the helmet of Jack Tatum, the Raiders and into the hands of Franco Harris who takes it in for a touchdown known as the Immaculate Reception, still one of the most famous plays in NFL history. It was a mistake. It shouldn't have happened that way. So we can even take a accounting of what our mistakes have been in life and what can I learn from those and how can I apply that to someone else who may be prideful, a little bit embarrassed about what they're doing, but uh, there's opportunity that comes out of that. We're not so we wouldn't have uh, liquid paper. We wouldn't have post-it notes. Uh, we wouldn't have Viagra. And then where would we be? <laughs> right. <laughs> Perish the thoughts. <laughs> so Kirk, are there like, are there things that you read or listen to or, um, you know, resources that you use to kind of keep yourself informed of what's going on and, you know, the, kind of on the leading edge of, of the things that you do for, for your jobs, for, especially for your coaching? I have several different resources where I get clients from. I've got organic clients, which my blogs, and advertising locally, lures some in. Most of my clients are actually from uh, other places. So I have three services that I work with. Uh, one is out of Vancouver. Another is an executive development firm in, uh, in, in Phoenix. And then I also have LinkedIn. Those resources provide information to all of us who are coaching or leading job search campaigns for individuals that we can pick up on data. I'm a credential coach through the International Coaching Federation. A plethora of information comes free. It's worldwide. And I'm also a member of our local association, which is in the Gulf Coast region of Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and the Florida Panhandle. We share amongst ourselves, coaches, ideas, thoughts. We're always looking for continuing education units that we can attend to maintain our certification and, uh, and, and, and enhance our coaching capabilities. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, duty calls, I understand that. Knocks at the door. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a story and I'll try to keep it, uh, I'll keep it clean, but it involves uh, a three, four-year-old little girl and her dad speaking of live TV. So we were doing a game, this was years ago, and little girl was in dad's lap, and we would always have a fade to commercial. And we focused in on them, cute family picture, and you could hear the countdown in the truck, 10, 9, 8, 7, 
the little girl's finger was headed towards one of her nostrils. And uh, sure enough, uh, it, by the three-second count, it had penetrated, and it just couldn't stop there. It had to go into the mouth. And so live TV, where do you go? What do you do? We're dying. Uh, it's killing us. And we come back from commercial, and our color analyst came up with the perfect line to bring us out of break. It was, you sure can't say we don't know how to pick them. <laughs> oh, that's great. So are yeah. there any books that you could recommend for folks who are kind of starting on this journey that maybe would help them to, uh, to discover um, themselves, I guess? Or discover, you know, give them a little bit of a, a little bit of guidance or wisdom. It's it's funny, Chris, because a lot of my stories, or, or a lot of the books I read that relate to this, are publications that are really not associated specifically with the coaching occupation. But one of the best that is, and it's a real simple read: "Who Moved My Cheese" by Spencer Johnson. Wonderful for that fear factor and the mice who didn't want to wander out and find that new cheese. So that would be right at the top of the list. But there are other things that are out there. One I really like is a former athlete basketball player was John Wooden, they call me coach. And coaching athletics has a lot of parallels to coaching people as I do. The only thing that's maybe removed from it is yelling and the aching on because coaching is very positive. Uh, so not so much, uh, McCarley, get your head out, but positive and encouraging. But Coach Wooden uh, lived to be 99 and has some remarkable lessons, not only for athletics, but for life. So those are two that are kind of at the top of my list and, and both interesting and easy reads, I would say. Excellent. Okay, great, great. So Kirk, this has been great. Is there something that you wish I would have asked you that I did not ask you that I didn't think of or that I just totally dropped the ball on that you want to make sure people hear? I want to give a shout out to my family because they are supportive of me in so many ways. My wife who's put up with me for 41 years and uh, I, I love you, darling. And our two kids that uh, have uh, have two and one more grandkid that's coming on the way that have taught me a lot uh, about myself all along the way. Certainly want to shout out to my clients. You stretch me and hope, hopefully make me become a better coach. And just the richness that I've had in connection and friend and friends. And I, I look at each of those as a potentially sacred intersection. What can I learn for this, from this individual? How can they make me better? How can it enrich the story that I have to tell? So it's people like that that uh, have just created a wonderful life for me. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Kirk, how can people get in touch with you? I mean, you know, I'm gonna put links to your website and stuff like that, but what's the best way for people who wanna hear, you know, talk to you in more detail and, and get in touch with you? Thanks for asking, Chris. Uh, I've got a website, uh, theseedsowercoach.com, the seed sower, C 
seedsowercoach.com. I can be contacted via email at Kirk at the seedsowercoach.com. Uh, still have a St. Louis area code, 314-677-8779. Give me a call, shoot me a text. I'd love to hear from you and I love to hear people's stories. Tell me about it and would love to help you along your way, uh, anybody that's listening, uh, if, if I'm able to. Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks so much. And thank, thank you. you so much, listener, for listening. I know you have a choice of about 2 million podcasts to listen to, so I'm <laughs> Very honored and delighted that you are here and that you made it to the end. And I just want to thank our guest, Kirk McCarthy. Oh my God, McCarley. <laughs> did I screw <laughs> that up, Kirk? <laughs> no, you did that uh, well. As a matter of fact, I may uh, have to change my last name to, uh, oh my God, McCarley. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Don't forget to give me credit for that. I'll give you credit. Copyright. Excellent, excellent. And and now I just want to say to the listeners, remember to please uh, subscribe, but also remember that we're trying to get to 50 countries by the end of the year. So I need your help to forward this podcast and share it with somebody who lives in some foreign land. I mean, we already have some really fun, exotic countries, but there are more, there are definitely more. So thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing from you next, to, to uh, talking at you <laughs> next week. <laughs>